0: Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. 2018, that the Kilauea volcano in Hawaii erupted and it sent lava spewing thousands of yards up into the sky and all of the homes and businesses and residences in the area were destroyed. What geologists will say is that it was the largest volcanic eruption in modern American history. But what's fascinating is geologists also say that the volcano didn't start erupting in 2018. Instead, it began erupting in 1983. And here's what happened. There was a small eruption following, by several years of calm. And then there was another eruption, and then there was another years of calm. And then there was eruption, and then there was calm, and then there was eruption, and then there was calm. And on and on it goes for 30 years until eventually, boom, the big eruption. I think that's a great illustration of what's happening today around the issue of sin and racism and prejudice and discrimination here in America. This is not an isolated incident. George Floyd is not an isolated incident. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, these are not isolated incidents. These are deep-rooted systemic problems that go back 400 years in our history and it's been happening under the surface it's been the civil rights and then silence it's been segregation separate but equal but silence it's been jim crow laws and then silence since 1992 the rodney king race riots in los angeles and then silence and then all of a sudden here we have george floyd brianna taylor and ahmad urbery and boom the explosion has happened These are not isolated incidents. These go back to systemic racism, segregation, civil rights, the pain and suffering that's happened amongst the black community in America. This is a very big problem and it's going on for a very long time. And what geologists will tell you is you never know when a volcano is going to explode, but we do know why. And here's the reason why. Dontre Hamilton, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Philando Castile, <laughs> Eric Harris, Ahmad Arbery, Brianna Taylor, and now George Floyd. Those are just a few of the names of people who have been oppressed, people who have been marginalized, people who have lost their lives. But there are thousands of other names and stories that we could add to that list. Names and stories of people that we know, people who actually attend this church, people who we call brothers and sisters, who are covenant members with us at Redemption, people who humbly, lovingly, graciously serve here at this church. In fact, one of them is a leader at our church. Her name is Erica Walker. She is a deacon here. She is the leader over outreach and missions for our church. And after I watched the death of George Floyd, my heart was broken and so I reached out to her and I said what can I do what can I learn how can I help and so I took her out for lunch and she began to tell me her story she told me a story one of her earliest memories in life was being five years old at the bus stop where a young girl said what are you doing here black people and white people can't mix you don't belong here what are you doing here a five-year-old she told me stories about how when she would go to a restaurant, people would look at her or follow her around. People she'd go to a, a store, people didn't know if she actually could afford to buy the clothes or the time that she was pulled over after leaving a basketball game, simply because of the color of her skin. Racism is a problem in our nation and it's been going on under the scenes until eventually we find ourselves in this place and there's eruption. So we need to have a talk. We need to talk about it. We need to deal with it. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a conversation about it. When I asked Erica, what do you want me to do? She said, Byron, I want you to do the only thing that I know that you can do, and that is to preach the Bible. And so that's exactly what I plan on doing tonight. I plan to preach the Bible. If you have yours, go with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to do a sermon called Grace and Race. And I'm going to preach the Bible because the truth is, this is not a political issue. See, some people want to say this is a political issue, race is a political issue, it's not a political issue. Some of you are thinking, Pastor Byron, you're getting political. You're getting political. Shut up and preach the Bible. That's exactly what I plan on doing. This is not a political issue. And what I find fascinating is that as a preacher, I preached against abortion. People said, Byron, you are so brave. I have preached out about God's design for sexuality and marriage between one man, one woman. And people said, Byron, you are so brave. I've preached about sex trafficking. I've preached over all of these other subjects, and every time I do, it's, way to go, preacher. You're so brave. You're so bold. But the moment I touch on racism, all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, you're getting political, right? This is not a political issue. At the heart of racism, it is a gospel issue, because racism is not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. You cannot legislate hate. You can have only the gospel can do that. You cannot change people. People's minds, but the gospel can change people's minds. You cannot change people's hearts, but only the gospel can change people's hearts, and you can't change people's lives, but only the power of the gospel has the ability to change people's lives. This is not a political issue. It is much deeper than that. It is a heart issue, and above all else, it is a gospel issue. And so we're going to preach the gospel today, and we're going to talk about race, and we're gonna talk about how the church should respond. And what you're gonna notice today as we dive into the scriptures is that you're gonna meet two people. If you're familiar with the Bible, you probably know who these people are. One guy's name's Peter and the other guy's name's Paul. You ever heard of them? Pretty big deals. We're gonna meet Peter. He is the leader of the Jewish church. He is the first among equals when it comes to the disciple. Jesus' is right-hand man by his side preached the first sermon at Pentecost. This is Peter, he, he's a really big deal. I mean, he walked on water. Some of you say, but he tripped and fell. Yeah, but he took more steps than you ever will. He's a big deal, okay? <laughs> And then on the other side, we're going to meet Paul. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He is a missionary to the Gentile people. You have two different people. You have Paul and you have Peter. You have the Jews and then you have the Gentiles. And there's going to be conversation, and it's the same conversation that we're having today. Who's in, who's out? Who's welcome, who's not welcome? Who's worthy, who's unworthy? Who's my neighbor, who's not my neighbor? Who do I have to love? That's what it's about. And this is why it's so important, because Redemption Church exists to see a gospel-centered movement where? In the heart of the city, where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. And when we say every... We mean every. But tragically, some people don't think every means every. Some people think they get to redefine what every means. Some people have a different definition than us. Some people think every means some, every means most, every means almost. Some people think that every means people who look like them, act like them, dress like them, vote like them, believe like them, have the same skin color as them, of the same ethnicity or origin as them. Some people want to redefine every, but that's not what we're going to do here. At Redemption Church, every means every. And so we're going to have a conversation. It's the same conversation that Peter and Paul had. And here's the difference between these two men, is that one was silence and one spoke up. That when it came to the matter of racism in the early church and prejudice in the early church, one was silence and one spoke up. So my question that I'm going to ask you today is this, who do you want to be? Do you want to be a Peter or do you want to be a Paul? Peter was silent. Paul is going to speak. The question for us today is this, in light of everything that we see happening in the world, who do we want to be? Do we want to be a Peter or do we want to be like Paul? If you have your Bibles, we're in Galatians chapter two, verse 11. Here's what it says. But when Cephas, that's Peter, this is a different name for Peter, but it's speaking of Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Uh Uh-oh, there's a controversy. Uh Uh-oh. It's trending on Twitter, Uh uh-oh, post went viral, there's a fight, they're getting in the Facebook comments, they're arguing back and forth between one another. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. These are conversations that you don't need to be having on Facebook, you need to be having face-to-face. These are conversations that are very important for us as a church, and so we're gonna have these conversations together, just like Peter, just like Paul in the church. He comes to Antioch, where's Antioch? Antioch is the missionary sending region of the early church. It was a port city where they would send missionaries out from the rest of the world. And so Peter comes to Antioch and he says, I opposed him to his face. And what happened? Why? Because he stood condemned. That's a very important charge against him. He stood condemned because here's the truth is that some issues aren't black versus white. Some issues aren't wrong. Some issues aren't left versus right. Some issues aren't progressive or conservative, some issues are matter of right versus wrong. And here, Peter was wrong. And so he stood condemned because he was wrong. It goes on and says, for before certain men came from James, who's that? These are the religious leaders. These are the strict conservative moral majority of the day. These are the religious Jewish people. They came in and then he drew back and he separated himself fearing the circumcision party. Now, I know this is a very serious sermon, But I would not be your pastor if I did not tell you that I do not want to go to a circumcision party. (laughs) That does not sound like a party that I want to go to. Amen? (laughs) Just trying to cut the tension. No pun intended. (laughs) Pick it up in verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. That's how he got his nickname. He was so encouraging. I mean, he was writing people little notes with hearts over the eyes, sending them text emojis. You got it. You can do it. Attaboy! boy. Like that's Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. But even the hypocrisy sinks out into him. And then he was led astray by the hypocrisy when it comes to racism and prejudice in the church. He was led astray, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the, what's the word? gospel. That is the good news. Listen, when you turn on the TV, all you're going to see is bad news, worse news. And oh my God, I can't believe that that is happening news. Everywhere you look, there is bad news. You know what people really need? People need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need good news because it's the good news of Jesus that opens hearts and minds. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It is the good news of Jesus that is able to change people's hearts. Before we go to Fox News, we need to go to the good news before we go to CNN news we need to go to the good news and there's so many people who can quote a YouTube viral video and can't quote Bible verses we need to go to the good news of the gospel to get the truth Because whether it's the left side or the right side, everyone has an agenda. But the agenda of the Lord is the kingdom of God. That's where we need to get our information from. That's where we need to get our worldview from. That's where we need to get the truth from. And that's where we need to live our lives from. The truth of the good news of the gospel. But Peter's lifestyle was not living up to accordance of the good news of the gospel. Here's what we see instead. He was out of step with the gospel. So I said to Cephas before them all, this is publicly, He said, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you then force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but rather through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, what we see happening in this text, unfortunately, is the same thing that happens in America and in many churches today. It is a conversation disagreement about who's in, who's out, who's welcome, who's not welcome, who's worthy, who's not worthy, who's loved, who's not loved. And tragically, 2,000 years later, we're still having this exact same conversation. But in their day, it wasn't a conversation about black versus white. In their day, it was a conversation about Jew versus Gentile. Right, The Gentiles, they are the non-Jewish believers of the day. You and me, we would technically be considered Gentiles. And early in the church, Gentiles were not even allowed to worship with them. Most people didn't even know if Gentiles could actually become Christians because they were seen as unclean people. And what's fascinating to me is that the only reason that Gentiles were ever allowed to enter into the church is because in Acts chapter 10, God gave a vision to Peter. Where in that vision, there was an open heavens and a blanket came down and there was all different types of animals that were considered ceremonially unclean for Jewish people to eat. And God said, take and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 not me, Lord. Not not me. I will never do that. Nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. I will never eat something that's unclean. And then God said, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Amen. Amen. And here he's referring to people. That's right. He's referring to the Gentiles, and so Peter's like, okay, Lord, and then knock, knock, knock. On the door, there was Cornelius' soldiers. Cornelius is a Roman Gentile soldier who had an angel say, go get Peter. He sends his people to Jerusalem, knock on the door. Peter goes, and he meets with Cornelius' family. He preaches the gospel to him, and then his entire household is converts to Christianity, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they begin speaking in tongues, and Peter says, if they've received the same Holy Spirit as us, then who has the right to not baptize and welcome these people into the church? Peter was the first person to go and to actually witness and preach the good news to Gentile people, and now, here we have a very similar conversation where he refuses to eat with them, Whenever the leaders from James come, he pulls away, he pulls back, and then he becomes silent. And the reason that Paul's so upset is because Peter knows better. Peter's been here. Peter's done this before. Peter knows better, but yet instead, Peter is silent. It's Paul who's the one. Paul is the one who steps up, who uses his voice, and he starts the conversation. Now... Peter is not a racist, right? We would never say Peter would be a a racist, right? I mean, if you look at it, he's hanging out with Gentile people. He's spending time with the Gentiles. He's welcoming them into his church. He's laughing. He's hanging out. He's cutting up with them. He's probably eating a pork sandwich with nobody's looking. and say, mm, this freedom tastes good. That's probably what he's doing. But then all of a sudden, religious leaders show up and he's like, Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm gonna back away and I'm going to be silent. Peter's not a racist. It's not like he's out lynching Gentiles. It's not like he's burning crosses and sicking dogs on them and tying them to the back of a pickup truck and dragging them through the city. No, no, no. He's not racist. Instead, it's more, it's more covert. Instead, it's more, I'm just not gonna say anything. I'm just going to back up. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to be silent. Now, Peter would probably say, but I have Gentile friends, (laughs) which is why it's so confusing when you're silent, when they're suffering. The Gentiles were probably wondering, Peter, where are you at? Peter, we're hurting. Where are you at? I thought you were my boy. I thought you were my leader. I thought you were my pastor. I thought you were my friend. We've had dinner together. We had community group together. We've worshiped and praised the Lord together. We took communion together. You were by my side. I thought you were supposed to be there for me. How come when other people are oppressing us and discriminating against us, you are silent? Mm. 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 This is the same way the black community feels to us whenever the church is silent as well say, where were you? What are you doing? We're hurting. We're suffering. We, we need help. We need backup. We need your support. And many are confused and wondering where is the church at during this time? So my question for you is, will you be a Peter or will you be a Paul? Will you be silent or will you speak up? Now, I would love to tell you I'm a Paul. I would love to tell you I'm bold and I'm brave. I would love to tell you that I stand up in the face of injustice. But I would be lying. Because if I'm honest, I'm more of a Peter than I'd care to admit. Tuesday was the first time in my entire life I ever said the three words, black lives matter. First time I ever said it. Now you would think like, of course, it's obvious black lives matter. Like, that's, that's obvious. Black lives matter. You would think, of course, everyone believes that. But as I've come to see lately, not everybody believes that black lives matter. I mean, I would hope that after four years of being your pastor, you know where my heart's at. I would hope that after four years of every single week opening up the Bible, preaching verse by verse, you would know where my heart's at. I hope you know that as your pastor, the last four years, I've always worn black. <laughs> But I would hope that the record of my ministry would speak for my heart. Because I have preached against racism. I have preached against injustice and violence. I have preached against prejudice in the church. I have preached all of those things. I have stood up here and I've preached in Genesis, the creation mandate, where after God made Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fulfill the earth. I've preached that. I've preached the covenants through both the old and the new covenant. I've preached where Noahic covenant is that God would no longer destroy the world through a flood. I've preached that Abraham would be the father of many nations. I've preached that Israel would be a royal priesthood, a light unto the nations. I've preached that King David, his offspring, would be a king that ruled over the nations. I've preached that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and the Lord of the nations. I've preached through Jesus's ministry, wherever Jesus, first time he ever revealed himself as the son of God, was to a Samaritan woman at a well. He broke across political boundaries, race, ethnic boundaries, and he shared the good news of Jesus. Jesus himself to a Samaritan woman, the marginalized, the lowest of the low, and the social outcast. I have preached the good Samaritan, where it's about loving your neighbor, and you don't get to define who your neighbor is. I preached about Jesus leaving the 99 to go and to find the one. I have preached about Paul. How can they hear unless nobody goes and tells them? I have preached over and over again, Revelation chapter 5, where the grand scheme of the vision of God is every single person, tribe, race, ethnicity from all across the world would be bowing down, worshiping Jesus Christ as the living, resurrected Savior, our Christ and our King. I have preached all of those things. Heck, even our vision statement says every man, woman, and child. It's in there. It's the heart of who we are. It's the vision statement of our church. But maybe I hadn't made myself clear. So let me say, black lives matter. They do. And some of you are thinking, well, I just, I just don't know if I can get on board with that. So let me give you an illustration to, to better help you understand. Maybe y'all remember a few months ago when I sprained my ankle. Anybody remember that? Y'all were here with that. I tried to impress a three-year-old at a birthday party. (laughs) And I did a backflip on a trampoline, and I severely sprained my ankle. I heard it pop, tendons and all. And so I had to go to the hospital, and as I go to the hospital, I am in great pain. And they say, on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain? I said, it's an 11. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And so they went to go do an x-ray. You know what I didn't say? Could you go ahead and x-ray all my body, because all body matters. I said, x-ray my ankle, please, because it's my ankle that hurts. Ankles matter. (laughs) Does this make sense to you? Right? You wouldn't ask for the whole body x-ray because it's the ankle that needs attention right now. That's all black lives matter means. They're not saying that all lives don't matter. They're saying right now black lives matter because black lives are hurting. Black lives are suffering. And here's what the Bible calls us, a body. The number one metaphor for the church in the New Testament is that we are a body. Jesus Christ is the head, and then all of us make up the body. And right now, on the body of Christ, the ankle is hurting. That's right. yeah. And so they need us to be able to love, to be able to serve, and to be able to speak up. And if we do not speak up, we're a hand saying to the foot, we have no need of you. Good Does this make sense? Are y'all tracking with me? Do we understand this now? Yes, of course all lives matter. Nobody's telling you all lives don't matter, but right now black lives matter. They need us and that's why it's so confusing to them when we don't speak up. Where are you? Who are you gonna be? Are you gonna be a a Peter and be silent or are you gonna be a Paul and are you going to, to speak up? The church has been silent while our brothers and sisters are suffering and hurting and our silence to them is deafening. I was talking with a a black pastor just last week and what he was telling me is that in his community, many black men are actually leaving the church because they don't see an answer to the systemic problems in the nation coming from the church. And then they hear They're white brothers and sisters turning a deaf ear and ignoring them. There's a problem. And so what I wanna do is I wanna have a conversation. Hopefully we can be able to find a solution to fix the problem. And so here's what I see through this text. I see three things that we can learn about race and grace from Peter and Paul. And the first thing is this, is that gospel beliefs lead to gospel behaviors. Here's what it says. For behold, certain men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles. Peter's hanging out with them. He's eating with them. He's sharing meals with them. And all of a sudden, James' boys show up, and he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... He had a conversation with them. What's the last word in there? Gospel. That's what all this is about. This is all a gospel issue. That's what's most important when it comes to the subject of race. We have to keep it focused on the gospel. We have to keep it focused on the good news of the gospel. And there are some actions and some behaviors that are out of step with the gospel. Listen, you need to pay careful attention to what you're listening to, what you're watching during this time and during this season, because there will be people who lie to you. There will be people who deceive you, try to hijack you, try to conform your mind to the patterns of this world and not renew your mind by the word of God. It's the gospel and the gospel alone that empowers us. It's the gospel and the gospel alone that gives us a voice, gives us a purpose, gives us a reason that changes our hearts, changes our lives, and changes our mind. It's all according to the work of the gospel in our lives and through our lives. And there are some behaviors that are out of step with the gospel. And that's exactly what we see happening with Peter. Peter's beliefs were great, but it's his behaviors that needed a little bit of work. That his behaviors were not lining up with his beliefs. You know what that's called? That's called hypocrisy. That's exactly what it is. It's hypocrisy. When you say Jesus loves everybody and then you treat people differently, that's called hypocrisy. When you say Jesus welcomes everybody and then you don't, that's called hypocrisy. When we send missionaries overseas to Africa, but we don't let black people in the church, that's called hypocrisy. When we speak in tongues, but we tell other people they need to speak English, that's called hypocrisy. Forgive us for being Pentecostal and thinking, oh, that God makes us all one. That's called hypocrisy. When we say that we're all made equal in the image and likeness of God, but when your daughter brings home a black boy calls him her boyfriend say not welcome in this family you know what that's called that's called hypocrisy you say one thing and you do another our gospel beliefs do not line up with our gospel behaviors there is a problem here Peter's beliefs did not line up with his behaviors. so this is something that still happens so let me give you an illustration just this week I had a post that I made on Facebook where I actually shared a picture of George Floyd I don't know if you've seen it. It actually went viral, had a couple of thousand shares, several thousand comments. And it was a picture of George Floyd holding up a Bible because I couldn't stand seeing all the pictures of him with a knee on his neck. I wanted to remember him the way that I think God sees him with the word of God held up above him. And from everything that I've read, George Floyd turned his life around. That he actually started working in a mission in Houston. After he got out of prison, he helped baptize some people. He threw some basketball tournaments. He was a service for the urban missionaries. And then in an attempt to turn his life around, he joined a discipleship program where he moved up to Minnesota. And that's where he began working and doing discipleship at. I don't know his life. I don't know his story. But I do see a man who's holding up a Bible. And I think that's my Christian brother. And I want to remember him the way that God remembers him. And so I posted that picture, and most of the comments were really good comments, very supportive, very encouraging. But there were also some pretty negative comments as well. Well, you don't know his life, you don't know his story, let's wait till more information comes out. Oh, you haven't heard the half of it, just give it some time. And then I started thinking, what if we posted comments like that about your life on every picture you post about yourself? When did we start being the ones who judge who's in and who's out? You don't know his heart. I don't know yours, but I'm telling you, you're not the judge. And I just found it interesting that a picture of George Floyd holding up a Bible was the picture where everybody started speculating and commenting. But every single week I hold up this Bible and say, this is God's word. This is true. This is trustworthy. And this word is the only word that could ever change your life. And y'all all all, amen. Do you know where I got this Bible at in prison, sitting in jail? My grandmother gave this to me after I got arrested with three felony possessions of crystal meth. Come on. The SO number's on the front page. I, pre- I preach out of this book every single time I preach because it remember- reminds me where I come from and what God can do. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because... Bible I'm your pastor let a black man hold it up we say hey let's wait for more information to come out our behaviors are not lining up with our beliefs do we not believe the gospel do we not believe that it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, that he has the power to save and to change lives? Did we stop believing the gospel? Did we stop believing that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? If Jesus don't condemn him, you can't condemn him. Do we not believe that no matter no height, nor depth, nor demon can separate you from the love of God? Do we not believe that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be forgiven and saved of your sins. Do we not believe that? Do we not serve a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, five chances, 17 chances? Is it that the God that we serve? Is it that the God that we believe in? Is it that the gospel that we believe in? You say, oh, but he was, He. he you don't know, he, he was high. Listen, we have addicts in our church who relapse every single week. And we don't, we don't judge and discriminate against them. No, we welcome them in. Right. Yes. Because we believe that every means every. Come on. And so when it comes to this, this is a gospel issue. Do we not believe in the gospel? Does something go viral and we forget our faith? Is that what happens to us? Are we not people of the gospel? Do we not believe that the gospel is the power to save? Then it's something that we should do in the way that we should live. Yes. The question is, will we be silent or will we speak up? The first thing that we can learn from this is that gospel beliefs lead to gospel behavior. So let me give you three things that we can do to be able to experience some gospel behaviors during the season. The first thing I think we need to do is this. We need to learn to listen. Jesus says in Mark four twenty four, pay careful attention to what you hear. You need to be very careful about what you're listening to right now. You need to be very careful about what you're hearing right now when it comes to the subject of race and injustice. We need to listen because the measure you use will be measured back to you. The one who has more will be given. The one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. If you learn to listen during the season, more will be given to you. More grace, more hope, more mercy, more peace, more redemption, more salvation. If you learn to listen right now, there's going to be way more reconciliation. But if you do not listen, well, you're going to get the opposite. More anger, more bitterness, more hatred. And then in 30 years later, we'll be having this exact same conversations with our grandchildren. Uh I think the reason that we're still having this conversation is because the generations before us didn't listen. And so first thing we need to do is we need to pay careful attention to what we hear. We need to learn and we need to be listening. The second thing is we need to be learning. Did you know that Christians are the number one downloader of podcasts and read more books than any other group in America? Do you know why? Because we're people of the book. That's right. Because we grow through our knowledge. We grow through our understanding. Second Timothy says that we need to study to show ourselves approved. Right now is a time that we need to be learning. And we need to be learning from God's word. And we need to be getting wisdom from our leaders and from other people, brothers and sisters in the black community. We need to learn from them. Yes. They can teach us about things that we don't know. Because you don't know what you don't know. And so you need to know. And so we need to actually take time to listen, and we need to take time to learn. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your what? Your mind. We need to use our mind in this. We need to listen. We need to learn. And then number three, it's a season for us to learn to lament. Paul says to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who are weeping. Now, as Christians, we're really good at rejoicing. We're like, yay, whoop poo ha ha-ha-ha, like praise the Lord, pass the communion, right? We're really good at rejoicing. You know what we're bad at? We're bad at lamenting. We're bad at weeping with those who are weeping. Everything is rainbow and butterflies and Skittles, and when people are suffering, we don't know what to do because it's awkward, and that's the reason that we're silence. But the Bible says that we are to weep with those who weep. And right now the black community is weeping and they are mourning and they need to hear from us. They need us to come alongside of them and to put our arm around them and to say that we are brothers and sisters together and we are better because of it. And so we are right here with you. That's what they need to hear from us. Now listen, when we talk about lamenting, nobody's asking you to have white guilt. That's not what this is about. Nobody's asking you to apologize for being white. Just the same way nobody's asking for a black person to apologize for being black. Hey, you don't need to do that because that's the way God made you and that's the way that God made them and that's the way that God made us and that's a beautiful thing. Yes. If you notice in this, Paul's not apologizing for being a Jew. He's just saying Gentiles are important. Amen. All Black Lives Matter means is we want you to acknowledge the suffering and the pain that we were walking through. Nobody's asking you to, to feel guilty because guilt is not a part of the gospel either. All we're asking you to do is to recognize that our brothers and sisters are hurting. They don't need to apologize for being black. You don't need to apologize for being white. It's just the way that it is, and that's the way that God made us. Praise the Lord because of that. And a lot of people are like, but, but, but I'm colorblind. That's not a thing. <laughs> People say colorblind, they say, but I have black friends. How would you know they're black if you were colorblind? <laughs> <laughs> because the truth is, is we all see color. And if not, then you need Jesus to open the eyes of the blind. <sighs> because this is a beautiful thing. We're all made in the image and likeness of God. We are the amago day, And God made us different because different is beautiful to him. He didn't make one color of rose. He made thousands of colors of roses. Not every rose looks the same and not every person is the same shade, but underneath the surface, we're all under the same blood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. come on, yeah. And so we need to learn. And so we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to learn and we need to learn to lament. When I talked to Erica Walker, here's what she told me. I said, what do I need to do? And She said, Byron, you don't need to cry, right, your tears aren't going to do anything for us. You don't need to cry and you don't need to feel bad. You just need to make it better. Right? We don't need your tears. Instead, what we need is we need your voice. Amen. Are you going to speak up or are you going to be silent? Gospel behaviors are formed by gospel beliefs. The second thing is this gospel faithfulness is the only way to overcome the spirit of fear. For behold, certain men came from James, and he was eating with the Gentiles. He drew back, and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, as said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you then force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jew by birth, and we are not Gentile sinners. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the gospel, you might know who Peter is. Peter, he has no problem in the book of Mark of putting his foot in his mouth. For those of you who are with us to the study of the book of Mark, Peter's saying all sorts of crazy, ridiculous things. On the Mount Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah show up, he's like, hey boys, y'all be happy Peter's here. Let's build a tent. He argues with Jesus about the bread. He says, Jesus, you are not going to go to the cross. So much that Jesus turns around and says, shut your mouth, Satan, not today. That's Peter. Peter has no problem. Open mouth, insert foot. That's Peter. But yet, even in this situation, Peter is silent. Now, what could make a loud mouth like Peter be silent? It's fear. Peter was afraid. But he was afraid of... Not the Gentiles but of the religious leaders. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Are they going to send me an email? Are they going to reprimand me? Are they going to send me a message? What happens if they see me hanging out with Gentiles? What happens if they know that I got Gentiles in my church? What happens if they see me eating that pork sandwich? What happens if they hear me say, Gentile lives matter? What happens? What's going to happen if they hear me say this? It's going to be awkward. I'm going to get in trouble. There's going to be a fight. So here's what I'm going to do instead. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm going to tow the party line. I'm going to back up, be quiet, and hopefully this is just another trend and in three months this is all gonna blow over and so he doesn't say anything and it was all based out of this response it was fear but he wasn't afraid of the Gentiles he was eating with them hanging out with them he loved them he wasn't afraid of the Gentiles instead he was afraid of the conservative religious leaders I'm gonna say something that I think is gonna blow some of y'all's minds. Come on with it. White people aren't afraid of black people. That's right. White people are afraid of white people. That's right. We're afraid of what's gonna happen if we break party lines. That's right. We're afraid of what's gonna happen if we step across the line. We're afraid of the backlash that we are going to get. And so most of the time we just don't say anything because well we don't want to rock the boat. Honesty. I know pastors who have people leaving their church right now. One pastor that I talked to, he said, a member told him that we're gonna withhold our tithe until this all blows over. What? what? One pastor I know had someone leave the church after he preached the Good Samaritan Sermon after Ahmad Arbury was killed. One pastor I know has an elder who is resigning because he posted on Facebook something about this very issue. And you know what all that is? It's nothing more than the spirit of fear. Yes. That is the spirit of fear that is running rampant in the church. Listen, right now, Satan is having a field day watching the church be silenced by his spirit of fear. It started with the coronavirus, and it is continuing through, coming with racism. It is a spirit of fear that has been unleashed in this wrecking shop and bringing pandemonium. Don't you know that fear is demonic? In 1 Timothy, it says, God did not give you a spirit of fear. It is a demonic spirit. 1 John says that pure and perfect love casts out fear. You know what you got to cast out? You got to cast out demons because fear in the heart of a believer is a demonic spirit that has come against the church. And God did not give us a spirit of fear. Instead, he gave us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of faith, of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the only way you can cast out fear is with love. This is why Martin Luther King Jr. says that hate can't drive out hate because that's a demonic spirit. Only love can do that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness because that's a demonic spirit. Only light can drive out darkness because only love can cast out fear. If you want to overcome the spirit of fear, it only comes through gospel faithfulness. Standing up for what we believe. Standing up for what's right. Standing up. Standing firm in our faith. Walking side by side with the brothers and sisters of our faith. we got to stand firm in the faith. That's the only way to overcome the spirit of fear. I'm tired of living in the spirit of fear. I want to walk in an opposite spirit. I want to come at this with the spirit of love, with the spirit of grace. I want to come at this with the spirit of the Holy Spirit that is of power, that is of love, that is of a sound mind. And I want to overcome fear with faith. Amen. Peter had fear. Paul, on the other hand, he stood up because Paul had faith. Amen. Yes. The number one command in the Bible is this. You know what it is? Do not fear. 365 times in the Bible it says do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do you know why? Because we all fear. Because fear, when it manifests itself in a believer, is damaging, it is crippling, it is devastating. We cannot let fear determine our actions. We cannot let fear govern our lives. And we cannot let fear silence our voices. We must speak out. And the only way to overcome the spirit of fear is with faithfulness. We must be faithful to what God has called us to do. And here's the truth. We should not fear because Jesus tells us, do not fear. In fact, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. They might talk about you. They may say something about you. They might withhold their tithe from you. But Jesus says, do not fear those who who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, he says, you need to fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. And here's the problem that I see is that so many people are more worried about what people think and less concerned about what God thinks. When it comes to the subject and sin of racism, more people are afraid of what other people are going to say than what God is going to say when they stand before him in heaven. Listen, you don't have to pick a side. Everybody right now wants you to pick a side. Whose side are you on? Are you on my side or their side? It's us versus them. It's left versus right. It's progressives versus conservatives. It's Republicans versus Democrats. It's masks versus unmasked. Whose side are you on? It's black versus white. And here's what the church should say. I'm on God's side. Amen. I'm not picking a side. I'm on God's side, and I'm going to transcend the party lines. I'm going to go above, and I'm going to see people from God's perspective, and I'm going to respond according to God's word, and I'm going to stand on my faith. I am not picking a side because this is a matter of right and wrong, and God's way is the best way. I'm on God's side. Do not fear because here's the truth. When you get to heaven, nobody's going to be by your side. Amen. No one will be by your side. You will be accountable by God for the life you live and the decisions that you make. Right. And as your pastor, I'm going to be held accountable by God too. I'm going to stand before God and here's what I want to say. I want to hear God say, well done, my good and yes. faithful servant. That's right, yes. You know what I don't want to hear God to say? Where were you? Come on. I can't do that. I can't stand before God and listen to him and say, Byron, I have called you and equipped you to be the pastor of Redemption Church in 2020. Everything you're going through from the coronavirus to racism, the death of George Floyd, and whatever comes next, I have called you for a season such as this. I have called you for a time such as this. It was no accident that I put you and those 300 people in the heart of downtown Beaumont on this day for this time. It was not an accident. I called you here. Where were you? When your brothers and sisters were suffering, where were you? When people were crying out, where were you? Why didn't you use your voice? I called you. I equipped you. I chose you. I placed you there for I determined the times and the seasons of which a person lives. Where were you? I don't want to stand before God and have to answer that question on that day. Yes. Come on. My, my children are suffering. Where were you? Your brothers and sisters were hurting. Where were you? They were crying out, looking for hope, looking for healing. Where were you? Where were you? Why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you use your platform? Why didn't you preach from God's word? Why didn't you speak up on their behalf? Where were you? I want to hear my faithful servants. Yes. The only way to overcome fear is if you have the fear of the Lord. And I'm tired of living by the fear of man. I'm ready to live my life fully, totally surrendered under the goodness and the kindness of the fear of the Lord. God's side is the right side. And God says this is wrong. Will you speak up or will you be silent? Will you be Peter or will you be Paul? Which leads to the final point Gospel conversations lead to gospel change. Gospel conversations lead to gospel change. This is all just a conversation. Peter and Paul, they're having a conversation. It's a heated conversation, but it's still a conversation. Some of y'all are going to go home and you're going to have conversations. Some of y'all are watching this online right now and you're probably having conversations. And they might be heated conversations, but they are needed conversations. And so here's what we're going to see next. He says in verse 15, We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Listen, they believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. They love Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus makes them family. Jesus makes us family. Because of Jesus, we're family. It's all about only always, always been about Jesus. And in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because works of the law, no one will be justified. The last word right there is the word that this entire conversation hinges upon. And it's this word justified. And this is the big word in the conversation that we're seeing in the narrative today. Justice. That's what people are looking for. They're looking for justice. And here's what that word justified means it's a theological term that explains why the gospel is so important. Justified is a rendering that a judge gives, it is a verdict that a judge gives. Now, a good judge gives a good verdict, a bad judge gives a bad verdict. What's the cry of everybody now? They're all looking for a judge. Ahmad Arbery couldn't get a judge. It was a misjustice of the justice system. He was passed from DA to DA because there's no one who could be fair and just in giving the trial. Breonna Taylor, they're looking for a judge. Now, the big thing with George Floyd is, well, what's the conviction? Who's gonna be arrested? Who's gonna be tried? What's the sentence gonna be? Who's gonna be the judge? Everybody right now is longing for justice. There are good judges, and there's also bad judges. Don't buy into the lie that every judge or every cop is a bad cop. Don't believe that. One of my best friends is a judge, and he's a good judge, and he's a good man. He's actually going to come over to my house on Sunday, and he's going to show me how to barbecue. He's a good man, and he's a good judge, and he's got a good heart. And he's got a great family and he loves Jesus and he's a member of our church. He's a good man. Don't buy into the myth that all cops are bad cops, that all judges are bad judges because not everybody who's protesting is a bad protester and not every preacher who preaches a false gospel means all preachers are false. Don't buy into this narrative that if one's bad, they all must be bad. That's not true. But there is a better judge. There is a greater judge and that's God. And that God is the only one who can justify It's a verdict issued by a judge. Now here's the problem with that. Everybody's crying out justice and peace. That's what we're looking for, right? But the answer is that we're all guilty. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, there is not even one. Every single one of us, sinners. We have done things we should not have done. We have said things we should not have said. We have lived in ways that we should not have lived. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. No matter your race, your skin color, no matter if you're black, white, rich, poor, no matter if you're a man or a woman, every single one of us is sinners. Officer Kavanaugh, sinner. George Floyd, sinner. You and me, sinner. Every single one of us, guilty. And you know what the penalty for sin is? It's death. Yeah. That we're all living under a death sentence. So here's what God does. When God would drop the gavel on your life today, guilty. That's the verdict. Every single one of us. Because the wages of sin is death. That's right. Doesn't matter who you are. How do you like that for equality? You're all sinners. There you go. <laughs> so what does God do? God gets up behind the throne. He sends his only son, Jesus. God becomes a man, enters into this world. And he lives the life that we never could live. That through Jesus Christ, he was poor, he was homeless, he was marginalized, he was an outcast, and he was like us in every single way, minus one. He lived his life without sin. He loved everyone perfectly. He served everyone perfectly. He was generous to everyone. He welcomed people. He served the the unthinkable. He forgave the unforgivable. He loved the unlovable. He welcomed the unclean. This is Jesus. And Jesus stood up in the face about religious, hypocritical leaders who violated the good word of God. And for that reason, he was murdered. Jesus was arrested, tried, falsely crucified. He was beaten, bloodied, mocked, murdered, hung upon a Roman cross. Jesus died the death that we deserve. And through his death, he substitutes himself in our place for our sins. Corinthians tells us that he who knew no sin became sin so that through him, we might become the righteousness of God. And when God sees those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the gavel of God drops on their life. And he says, not guilty, justified justice and peace. My friends is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No justice, no peace that is the heart cry of the gospel no justice no peace without justice there is no peace and if you want peace you got to get justice and every single person that i see holding a protest sign every single person out there marching out there holding up the sign crying out screaming on the streets no justice no peace no justice no peace do you know what i hear them saying i need the gospel they're saying, I need the gospel. They're begging for us to give them the gospel. Tell me the gospel. There's got to be good news. I need justice. Where is justice? I need peace. Where is peace? Because without justice, there is no peace. Give me the gospel. That's what their heart cry for. They don't know it yet, but that's what they're really longing for. Because only the gospel is able to fix the problem of racism in America, because it changes our hearts, it changes our minds. It changes our lives, and it lets us see other people through the lens of what Jesus did for us. Amen. When I see someone with the protest sign saying, no justice, no peace, you know what I think? This is what happens when the church is silent. That's right. People don't know where to go to get the gospel. They're crying out for the gospel right now. There's more opportunity to share the good news of Jesus than there has ever been before. People are literally, thousands of them, on the streets saying, somebody give me the gospel right now. I don't got it because the world's way is not working. The world is broken. It failed me. No justice, no peace. Where's it at? Because this ain't working. Where's justice? Where's peace? Because the system is broken. It's not working. There has to be another way, but they're trying to get justice through the ways of the world and it's going to disappoint them. Yes it is. Only the gospel can meet the need of this nation. Come on, man. Come on, Pastor. Justice only comes from Jesus. That's right. Peace only comes From Jesus. No justice, no peace. If you want to know justice, you need to know Jesus. Because at the foot of the cross, justice and peace they kiss. And that's what love is justice and peace at the foot of the cross. And so this is the reason the church cannot be silent. We must meet the need of the people who are crying out. And here's what I believe. On the other side of the riots, there is revival waiting. Amen. Yeah. Some truth. Out of the other side of the protest, there is a church that is being born. That this is the movement that heaven has been waiting for. This is the moment that the world has been waiting for, for the church to rise up and to take their place when it comes to the conversation of race and grace. Amen. It's our time. We must speak up. We cannot be silent. We gotta say something. Because people are dying. People are hurting. People are suffering. And we got healing. We got justice. We got peace. We got Jesus. We have a voice. We cannot be silent. We must speak up. And so here's what I want us to do today. As we wrap up this sermon and this message, I wanna give us a challenge. Will you be Peter or will you be Paul? I'm praying that our church will be a Paul, that we will stand up for what's right and we will give the world the gospel. So here's what I wanna do, I wanna ask you what's next. I wanna give you three things that I think that we can begin doing as a church. The first thing is this, have a conversation. That's all this is, is a simple conversation. And you know why I believe that gospel conversations can bring about gospel change? Because you and me are here today. Nobody's having the argument Jew versus Gentile. It's not even a thing anymore. Nobody checked you for your circumcision at the door. (laughs) Raise your hand if you want to sign up for that job on the surf team. I shouldn't have said that. But here we are 2,000 years later and this is not a problem anymore. Do you know why? Because they were willing to have a conversation. In fact, 100 years after this conversation happened, Josephus actually wrote about the church, talking about how they ended racism in the church at Rome. In fact, Justin Martyr in 100 AD said, we used to hate people who were of a different race than us. Now we eat meals with them and pray for our enemies. That's only one generation after this conversation take place. What could happen one generation after we have this conversation? Yeah. I believe that what we can do is we can be the generation that ends systemic racism in America because we have seen overflows for the last 30 years of an eruption and then silence, an eruption and then silence, and then eruption and then silence. But what if the eruption that's happening in the nation is the same eruption that God wants to do in the church? That we could be the generation that puts an end to systemic racism in America. We could be the generation that finishes what Martin Luther King and the rest of those started in the civil rights movement. We could be the generation that finishes what Harriet Beecher Stove did when she wrote to Abraham Lincoln to get the Emancipation of Proclamation passed. We could be the generation that stands up and says, this is not going to happen. We could be the generation, and that all starts with a gospel conversation. Amen. Have a conversation. Talk to your friends and your family. Talk to those who are in the black community. And please, for the love of God, teach your children. We got to have the conversation. The second thing is, I want you to stretch yourself. I want you to read a book. You can do it, but there are no pictures in it. But I do want you to read a book. Okay, I'm going to recommend a book to you. It's called Woke Church by Eric Mason. He is a pastor of Epiphany Church in Philadelphia. He is a gospel-centered, great man who loves the church and he just wants to help. And so he wrote this book. I read it this week. It was very eye-opening. I want you to have a conversation and also I want you to, to read this book. I recommend it to everyone. It's an incredible book. And then the last thing that I wanna challenge you to do today is this. I wanna challenge you to believe the gospel because it's the gospel that changes hearts and minds and lives. It's the gospel that has the power for racial reconciliation. I want you to believe in the gospel. Truly, literally, wholeheartedly believe the gospel. So let me close by giving you an illustration. At our first Wednesday prayer night, my grandmother, Dee Dee, she actually told me a story about living in the 60s. That when she was in eighth grade, they had voluntary integration at her school. That wasn't, but not that long ago. And as she was in eighth grade, they had voluntary integration. And she remembered on the first day of school, she went to the bathroom and there was a black girl crying in the bathroom. And she went up to her and she actually built a friendship with this girl. And they became friends and she learned her story and the girl said that I was a cheerleader at my other school and Dee, Dee said that most people who integrated into her school, they left everything behind. They left their popularity, they were basketball players, they were football players, they were cheerleaders, they were star athletes, they were student body presidents and counselors and student government, and they had a whole life that they had built up going to their other school, but they voluntarily chose to integrate schools and they left everything behind. And as I heard that, I thought, that's the same thing that Jesus did for us. Amen. That just like that little black girl, Jesus integrated into this world. That Jesus left heaven and he integrated here on earth. That is a beautiful picture of what the gospel looks like. And if Jesus could do that for us, we need to do that for others. Amen. We need to have a conversation. And the church needs to be the place, the safe place where we can talk about race and we can talk about grace. Redemption Church will be that church. Why? Because we're a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city for every, 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 every man, woman, and child. And at redemption, every means every. Amen? Amen.